0: Hello and welcome to the Georgia Tech Catholic Center podcast. This is Josh Kreese.
1: And Elizabeth Nash.
0: And Father Branson Hip. And today we're going to be talking about this month's Book of the Month, Mr. Blue. Yeah, and I I figured
2: we'd start just by introducing why we're doing the Book of the Month. And actually, my friend Father Paul Porter, uh, I mean, I think he'd say we're friends, but uh, he, he told me once, like, very sincerely that, and this would be weird for many people to hear, but, like, if it weren't for the Harry Potter books, like, he would not be a priest, Like, when he explained that, though, is that, like, Harry Potter books honestly, like, introduced him to how good a book can be and how it could, like, suck you in. And before that, he thought that books were, like, boring and not anything. But, like, that book actually showed him, like, that a book is worth reading. And he kind of later on, like, read his way back into the church of... All of like the different things about the Catholic faith but it was through honestly through books and through like encountering people that really cared about him but also along the way books and so I was struck by that I and I can think of a few specific books in my life that like opened me up to how good a book can be and honestly especially with and I'm gonna sound like an old man saying this but like especially with how young the kids these days have like encountered like YouTube and things like that like I wonder how many people have actually discovered how good a book can be.
1: Yeah, I think it really, to speak into that experience, it really just takes one entry point, one book. I know for me, it was similarly, I remember Harry Potter in middle school was pretty pivotal. But before that, I actually was terrible at reading and had a disgustingly low amount of reading comprehension. I had to go to one of those like summer school things to learn how to read basically. And we read a book about called Mr. Popper's Penguins about this guy who accidentally buys penguins and ends up like raising them in his basement. And I remember being really young and thinking, oh, sky's the limit with this. Like it, it really opened up, I think my imagination and my ability to comprehend and imagine things. Not just even make-believe, but to kind of take it and apply it to my life. And obviously that progressed throughout you know middle school, high school, and college. But it, there is some sort of beginner entry point with books. And I think that's important to note because I think others can want to be like, oh, I know how to read or I know how to actually comprehend and take the beauty and depth of a book. And we'll start off with like the Brothers Karamazov of like, okay, well, maybe if you don't really know how to chew on a book, Um, you can kind of blow through really good things and miss a lot of good things.
0: I always loved reading growing up, but I think for me, books are always sort of a sign of adventure. I think like that series for me, like wasn't Harry Potter, but uh, the Percy Jackson books, which are kind of like a modern mythology. But looking back on, I think what struck me the most, like as I was reading it, was that I always was just like hoping I'd be like a demigod, like one of these like regards given you know like the people who are like special in this story but that like you know you didn't know if it was you and like all of a sudden you'd be called into adventure and i think like extrapolating that into like our own lives and like living that it was really like awakened through like reading books and like the possibility of being called to adventure and then going out and like seeking that for myself and the world around me
2: and i think first of all like we talk about structurally Uh, like, man is, like, a story monger in the sense of, like, our our lives are story, right? Salvation history is a story. There's this line from Monsignor Luigi Giussani where he said, like, forgive me for all the quotes I'm going to use, but literature convinced me of what philosophy couldn't. And what he meant by that is, like, we're, like, just pure ideas can, like, very rarely do they actually convince anybody of anything, but when you see something in another person, it will actually open you up. Like, huh, like, maybe... Maybe there's like a possibility of this, or I didn't think of that before, or I didn't see this before, and this can actually happen through stories and books, as well. Like I, um, I took a class on, um, like the history of like American Catholicism, and specifically I took this class on, or this read this book called The History of of the of Black Catholics in the United States, by this amazing Benedictine monk uh, Cyprian Davis, Father Cyprian Davis. And that book actually really shook me in the way of, like, understanding different things about American Catholic Church history and then also, like, what we're called to do now is actually partly what, like, inspired me to learn Spanish and, like, walk with the Spanish-speaking community because I'd seen, like, the ways that, like, the American Catholic Church hadn't always responded in the best ways to, like, other events in history. But it was through actually through books and through story and things like that, that like I've recognized in my own life, I've been opened up to specific things. And I think that reading in the spiritual life is really important and not just theological things or like lives of the saints, which are really important as well. And like next book I want to propose is, is a nonfiction book. But I think like reading real literature and sitting with ideas and people and times is crucial.
1: I know a book that was extremely pivotal for me in, I would say, the beginning of actually taking my faith seriously was C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed, which isn't his normal mainstream Chronicles of Narnia or Weight of Glory or things like that. Um, But I really can't remember how I stumbled upon it, but he wrote it. um, It's basically his journal entries after his wife passed away of cancer and him wrestling with can God be good amidst a lot of suffering and the confusion of death and the death of relationship and how that actually affects us. And I really can't remember what like how I ended up with it, but I returned to that book at least once a year. It's very short. But being able to read his words and to hear him articulate and experience like a very similar journey that i was walking through i found this camaraderie with him and it opened me up to actually i think taking my wife honestly just my whole life seriously of seeing how this man who has been so greatly revered as like the greatest christian author or at least one of them wrestle with i'm i'm he even explicitly said like i'm scared i'm gonna find out that god isn't good um and it's just such a beautiful progression and it's kind of manic in some instances because you can like even hear in his words like the suffering but it just hit me so hard because I was walking through that and living that and I'm so grateful for his honesty in it um and it it really opened me up to read more of his works specifically and like taking the Chronicles of Narnia and like running with it and seeing the real depth there beyond just like the children's book, but then reading his other works and like seeing where he came from was really pivotal for me.
0: I was also thinking of Lewis. Uh, So I won't say uh, Chronicles of Narnia, though those are like incredible. Um, One is like a work related to him called Severe Mercy, written by a husband who was widowed at around the age of 40. And him and his wife, before she passed away, were really good friends with C.S. Lewis. And one of the, like, selling points of this book is it has around 20 unpublished letters um, from C.S. Lewis that came from over the course of this guy's life. But I think, like, the beauty of that book was in reading, like, it was an autobiography by this man. And just hearing, like, his experience, I think it's kind of related to what you said, Nash, but that, like, someone else is, like, struggling through this with me, even though he did it, like, 50 60 years earlier not that my wife died but (laughs) (laughs) but like this experience of like struggling in faith and in relationship with God throughout the book without getting too many examples it was just like piercing me like chapter after chapter and to have like just something so simple like a book like a couple of pages just like impact you in such like a deep and profound way I think is really like a gift of sitting down taking time to read a book
2: yeah, I my junior high school was on a big like G.K. Chesterton fiction kick, which is just a weird thing for a junior in high school to be into, but whatever. Um, but I remember particularly he has one called "The Ball and the Cross," which is a like these an atheist and a Catholic that are trying to duel each other to the death, and they're being stopped by like the British government basically, um, because everybody else is like lukewarm, but they're the two people that are fully alive. And as they're trying to duel each other and find a place to duel, they, like, become friends and debate. And I was struck because, like, my really good friend at the time was atheist. And, like, we would were great friends, but, like, we're constantly talking and arguing and things like that. And it was really beautiful to see, like, very helpful to see that, like, we weren't wrong in our passion for the truth and our friendship with each other. And I was like, supremely grateful for that book and that friendship at the time.
1: I feel like in reading these books, it's kind of trained me in some way um, to even read like spiritual books. And just as I progress in my union with God, I feel like even kind of random fictional books still speak highly to me and to the human experience. I think my all time favorite book is All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr and it's about World War Two, and there are two, like, competing narratives. It's this girl who goes blind at the beginning of World War II in France, and then this German orphan boy who, like, gets recruited to be part of Hitler's youth, um, and it's both how they perceive the war, and they're both very, very good at the core. Like, they're just good people, um, and it's their, like, kind of adventure of how they navigate, like, growing up in the war, and the young boy um, is constantly like wrestling with like duty and then having a conscience um, and being like in yeah in the middle of the Nazi regime and I don't know it just something about that book specifically and this fictional that has really nothing to like do with me and isn't necessarily relatable but the way he battles and fights for goodness is always sticks out to me and I think books like that I'm really drawn to of like a character that's trying failing and trying again to like be the good and to do the good amidst a lot of evil um and i can see how like christ is in that with us and that's i don't know i'm recognizing that through these like random fictional books that my heart really and the characters that stick out to us most are the ones that are fighting for the good because we're made good and i'm really thankful for that capacity that Christ gives us in random things, you know.
2: Yeah. So I want to introduce this book in particular that I want us to read, and like to your point, Nash, about like easing into it. This is a short book. It's like a hundred pages, if that. It's not a, a long read, and it's uh, *Mr. Blue* by Miles Conley. And what's interesting about *Mr. Blue* is that it's written almost as a Catholic response to *The Great Gatsby* by F. Scott Fitzgerald, and it was published like three years later. And, you know, the thing with Great Gatsby is uh, so much of it is, like, nostalgic and looking to the past, but then also, like, very tragic and, like, Gatsby being consumed, like, told from the perspective of Nick Carraway, but Gatsby being consumed and, like, the riches but then, like, his love for Daisy and how, like, that destroys him, right? Like, he gave his life for something that, like, where your treasure is, there you find your heart, but he gave his his life for something that actually, like, destroyed him, like, wasn't worth giving his life to. And a lot of people can like romanticize that time and like romanticize gatsby and and the whole thing but there's like a great sadness and hollowness to it and miles conley who is also a screenwriter writes this book where it's the same kind of structure of a character talking about his interactions with another character in this way like describing mr blue um j blue and like, how this character is, like, otherworldly and not of this world, but also, like, a larger than life figure, but also real, and almost embodying, uh like, Francis of Assisi, and it's a, like, a simple book, but very, like, interesting and beautiful of, like, what it's like for a man to be, like, fully alive, like, and all the, like, paradoxes of that, of being, like, orthodox, but then, like, free, Uh yeah, I don't know if, like, because you, you read it as well, Josh, like, I didn't want I wanted to hear your thoughts on it.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's very beautiful, but in another way, very challenging. And that, like, it offers, like, a f- the fictional life of the saint-like figure, which in many ways is, like, incredible to read about, like, what a saint would look like at the time, like, in modern, like, 1920s. But, like, the call in our own lives to, like, still live sainthood and like, everything that we do. Because you look at, like, St. Francis of Assisi or Ignatius of Loyola, And you say, like, it makes sense that, like, then in, like, those circumstances, they were able to be, like, the people that they were. But then to be presented with an example of someone who lived that well in, like, the modern world with money and with skyscrapers and with limousines, like, the way that he lived sainthood, like, in this book is challenging because, like, now it's, like, (laughs) I have to look at myself and see, you know, where can I be living this? And I, yeah, I like that was, like, sort of, like, a modern St. Francis of Assisi because it, like, makes that... Like brings his example like forth like reality and like how do we live that today?
2: Yeah, because he really does embody these things and it's just a really interesting character and like very challenging Like very challenging to like the one who's like writing the book Um, So I really love this book and not because it's like the most well-written book I mean, it's 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 well written, but it isn't the like the deepest or most eloquent but I think it's a good introductory book and it's very beautiful and simple and good to sit with. And I think especially uh, here at Georgia Tech and all the things that we're called to and how easy it is to like kind of put our faces down in our work, which we're called to do. Um, but like how easily we can let everything drift past us, especially like the beauty of like Christ working now in the present moment. He's a good, like haunting, challenging figure. And so like check it out, read the book. And I would, like, if you do read the book and are struck by things, like, to reach out to us, to, like, message us. And we can have a follow-up one with those that, like, have read it and, like, check it out. So, Mr. Blue by Miles Conley.
0: Thank you all for listening to the Georgia Tech Catholic Center podcast. Be sure to read uh, Mr. Blue and let us know your thoughts. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. <laughs> <laughs> T?
2: I can listen to that, or you know, the history of bears with knives. (laughs) (laughs) I know what I choose.